When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, Fall of the House of Sunshine is offering episode commentary to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. In this world, there are more stories than garbage in the Pacific trash vortex. Some are styrofoam, some are mementos, some are thrown overboard by a jerk sailor. But they're all worth cleaning up. So open your churning maw wide and listen. Welcome to Brushdown Stories. Episode 12. From the Diary of Bernard Glouch. The Lair of the Mad Duke. From the diary of Bernard Glouch, world traveler. Years ago, I left New Mola and America to find evidence of early dentite civilizations. Most of my time, it felt it'd been spent in transit. It had been hard going. Returning from Asia to reach the Dalmatian coast, the city of Split was built around the former palace of the Roman Emperor Diocletian. Soldiers patrolled the streets, and there was a chatter about a military build-up in Germany and France. A lot had happened since our time in the Ottoman hinterlands. My traveling companion, Chapman Heath, was searching for the lost fecal box of Adam, which contained the first defecation of man and the seeds of the Tree of Knowledge. I was seeking relics to prove the ancient history of the Dentites. Our paths crossed, and we decided to seek relics together. It had led us to an ancient city and the ruins of a great temple. We had hoped this place would be the resting place of the fecal box. But the temple of the Scubalus had not yielded a great treasure as we had hoped. Instead, only a few fragments of a mosaic and a clay cylinder with writing of an unknown origin. We had returned to the Austro-Hungarian Empire to meet with Heath's benefactor, Duke Werner Bamberg zu Schwarzenberg. Heath was hoping he'd know someone who could read the cylinder. I was hoping he might have some second-period dentarian vases, or maybe some proto-Zorastian tooth scrapers. What little I had found, I'd ship back to Numola once we crossed into British Cyprus. Split was warm, and still boasted many buildings dating to the Venetian occupation. Currently, the Habsburg flag flew over the city hall. I preferred to stay out of politics. I was a staunch Republican, having voted for McKinley twice, but after his death, my interest waned. Chapman wanted to stop at the Cathedral of St. Dujam to give thanks for our safe journey to Split. The church was in the center of the old city. We entered and both kneeled before the altar. After a moment, Heath whispered to inform me that this was actually the Emperor Diocletian's mausoleum and was only consecrated as a church in the 7th century. He then nodded towards several artifacts and said they were fakes. After a few more minutes and mumbled prayers, we headed back to the street. He then suggested going to a tavern, but I put my foot down. We'd spent enough time dilly-dallying. We are in search of a greater truth. We should not be dragged into the ruin of rum and liquor. 
So, after only three quick drinks, we headed to the Duke's mansion. The mansion was perched on a cliff overlooking the Adriatic Sea. We were greeted by the Duke's servant, Centipede, who saw us into the receiving room. He was a small, hunched Englishman, who now worked for the Duke. I'd later learned he was chased from his home country after biting the finger off of a well-known sculpture. The master is in the world room, Centipede said as he gestured for us to wait. We don't have time for his games, Heath replied. The world room is his private sanctuary. I recovered half those artifacts myself. They continued to argue as I took in the splendor of the hall. There were several suits of armor flanking the doors, and a large collection of guns were arranged into a starburst shape on the wall. Centipede said something to Heath which caused him to slam his hand down on the dark wood banister of the entwined twin spiral staircases. I tried to ease the tension with a little small talk. So, Centipede, that's an interesting name. Are you named after the creature? Centipede turned to me and leaned in. His breath stunk of herring, and his left eye swung around in the socket with a mind of its own. No, he replied. It's cause I pierced myself a hundred times. He then let out a laugh and added, I'm working on being a millipede. Heath sighed, but before they could resume arguing, a small electric buzzer on the wall rang. Centipede flinched. The master calls! Heath then demanded for us to be brought to him. Centipede stomped his foot and then started climbing the stairs. A dog follows, and what can be done? A dog follows, looking for fun. Sometimes he finds lots, sometimes none. A dog follows, and what can be done? I repeat here what he said, but I can offer no insight as to its meaning. Centipede continued to lumber up the staircase. Maybe we should go, I said to Heath. Centipede is a mud volcano, all noise and stink but no fire. Come now. Heath followed him up the stairs, and I followed Heath. At the top was a large door in the shape of a globe. Centipede pushed open the door and disappeared into the gloom. Inside was more cavern than room. Each inch of wall was covered in all manner of item. Science, art, literature, history, religion. It was as if all the knowledge of the world vomited itself upon the walls. One area was filled with dried sharks and other oceanic fishes, making a large arc which ended at what appeared to be large Aztec stone gods. An alligator hung from the ceiling, and several lamps made from inflated toads lit up the room. A whole oriental temple was constructed at one end of a path which was lined with mummies. I could not tell if this place was a heaven or a hell. A tall, stern man with a mustache and military uniform stepped out of the temple and looked us over. He pulled a pistol from his belt and gripped the handle. He then started speaking in a language that was unknown to me. He raised the pistol and aimed it at Heath. He advanced forward, still speaking in that unknown tongue. Heath sheepishly put his hands up, but he didn't see overly nervous. The man, who I assumed correctly to be the Duke, put the muzzle of the gun to Heath's head. He held it there for a long moment, then another. Then he pulled the gun away and began to laugh. He slapped Heath on the back and then started speaking in German. He and Heath conversed for a while, and then their attention turned to me. 
Heath introduced me and informed the Duke I didn't speak German. He smiled and spoke to me in somewhat broken English. He was quite interested in my dentite heritage, and then asked me several questions about why the Americans had killed the Indians. He showed me several arrowheads in a headdress given to him by a descendant of Red Cloud, the Lakota chief. Then he turned back to Heath and they resumed their talking. He walked Heath over to a cabinet and showed him some odd plates that appeared African. Heath walked back toward me. Why don't you go with Centipede and get something to eat? I'll continue negotiations here. How long do you think it'll be? If he doesn't run through me with a sword, two hours. If he does, maybe three. I followed Centipede into the butler's kitchen, and he got out a platter of cured meats and cheeses. He then found a basket of bread heels and crusts, and put them on the table. I nibbled as he stuffed handfuls of meats into his mouth. Between chews, he would gulp down wine from half-drunk bottles. He offered me one, the neck wet with salami grease, and the opening marred with spittle and bits of chewed bread. I passed. After he had eaten almost all the food, he wiped his mouth with his sleeve. I was unclear why the Duke would have such a creature in his employ, and it seemed there was no one else in the house. "'Kill to hell!' said Centipede as he leaned back into a chair and let out a satisfied flatus. "'I have pain eternal. The Duke says I must have been quite the beast in a previous life to be born so gnarled and broken. The sins born flesh!' "'You think that is true?' I asked." What is my other option? Some great god, let me be born as such for no good reason? Or some great god don't even take an interest, so he lets the twists and cruelty come as they come? Better a vengeful god than an indifferent or arbitrary one. I tapped my fingers on the table. Centipede burped loudly and scratched the lid of his dead eye. Was a bit funny, eh? My master with the gun? Centipede laughed to himself and then reached for one of the wine bottles. But it escaped his grasp and rolled away. He looked at me pleadingly. I handed him the bottle. What language was the Duke speaking? German! No, before that. Centipede smiled. He put his head back. You don't know a lick of what you got your tail in. That, my American cousin, was Varnik, the language of the lost people of Lemuria. He learned it from a telltone, one of the ancient handstones that record all it hears. All stones absorb the world around them. It's getting them to sing that's the trouble. I said. I had no interest in this mythology, or lies. I figured Centipede was just trying to scare me, or play some game to which only his brain knew the rules. I'm sure if a skilled phrenologist could measure his skull, they'd find it full of barbarism and calumniations. He saw me looking at him, and he narrowed his eyes and spit. Your man, Heath, you know what he is? An adventurer? Looter? Ransacker, thief, and liar, and he has abnormal proclivities, but mayhaps you know that already. And your duke, what step does he do? Also, I'm not Heath's man. It's not a yegg game. They say the duke was birth stillborn, and then, when awaiting burial, screamed to life. 
Some say a kobold had held his soul back from his body for a slight done by the royal family. Some say the baby only lived because a silver coin was placed on its tongue. By any stretch, the lad was ill and sickly, and said to be always surrounded by a pale mist. But the true curse of the boy would not be kent till later. For, you see... But he was interrupted by Heath, whose boots hurriedly banged the wooden stairs. Come now, Bernard. We must take leather and not shy it. Where are we going? Heath grabbed one of the wine bottles. He then pushed the servant's door open and stepped into the night. I followed at his heels. I asked again, but before I could finish, he said simply, Sarajevo. Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg, with music by David Origlieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Join our Patreon for an exclusive new weekly podcast, and more. Don't worry, Melissa will be back soon. She's just on vacation visiting the Ashmolean Museum. Thanks for listening, and have a centabulous bicuspid of a day. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.